What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. It's been a busy start to 2023. I am back in the swing of things climbing-wise. I'm looking forward to the early spring season, and I've been podcasting my face off. This month alone, I have nine different podcast episodes coming out across various channels. I'm working on a new top secret project with Lauren Abernathy that's sort of tangentially related to climbing, alongside the two other climbing-based podcasts that I'm developing currently. And Paul and I are planning the third season of Breaking Beta right now. So lots of talking, recording, editing, and it's a hustle that I'm loving. But I also love listening back to conversations I had a while ago. And I just finished listening to today's episode that I recorded back in October with my good friend. I'm not going to say old friend, even though that will become apparent soon. Patty Law, who now owns the gym that I started climbing in, Climb Time Blue Ash in Cincinnati. And If you're listening as a relatively new climber in Cincinnati and you only know Patty as the gym owner, well, there are some things you need to understand before we begin here. Back when Patty and I were both learning to climb and finding our way in what was a very young community, she was incredible to watch. Fierce, tenacious, graceful, could hold on to anything and always made the hardest moves look easy easy. She can probably crush you. It was inspiring to watch, and she's a key part of the small crew that imprinted climbing onto my life forever. Patty recently opened another climb time about 20 minutes from the first, which is where we sat down to record this chat. And we talk about what the transition has been like from her first gym visit to buying that same gym to opening a new much more modern facility. The things she's kept, the things she's updated, and how she continues to cultivate community. But I'll let her tell you all about that. Let's get into it. It has to run on that interpersonal communication. You have to assess um, the person that comes in who's a potential... um, I mean, they're wanting something when they come in, and you have to assess it, and they have different personalities. So sometimes you you need to be able to read people well because some people don't like to be like um, – if you're like too in their face, yep. um, they feel like they're being attacked, and some people need encouragement. Like even if you're teaching a ballet class – whatever has happened and kind of little traumas in their childhood has translated into them having lack of confidence. So there are many times where, for example, a newer um, staff member here is they're new to teaching, so they haven't had as many experiences. They'll be frustrated. They're like, I had to fail them. It's like an hour and a half later. I'm like, let me try. 
So usually it's like somebody in terms of like, I know they can do this. Let me, it's kind of like have just a second person, maybe read a little bit differently. And just because I have more experience um, sure. and I'm just a lot more, I'll be encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you've got this. And then we'll like just go through it slowly and just control encouraging little by little. And they get it. I will say, I don't think I've ever failed anybody. <laughs> I just know. I think that's a lot of things. That's like, I know people are very capable. Yeah. You might just have to approach it in a little different way with them that, um, clears their whatever little anxieties they might have. Yeah, and and they're they're often here because they want to be They all are here. I mean, yeah, yeah. they've signed up for the class. Right. (laughs) So they paid for the class. I want them to get their money's worth, and I want them to be able to move on to the next level of climbing because they've been here for a few months. I want to open up the top ropes to them. I'm like, okay, it's like, let's do this. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm terrible with years. With dates in general, horrible. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what year you started climbing? I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking it was like definitely mid nineties, like ninety six, and that started sounds... at Climb Time Blue Ash. Yeah, and you were the one who gave me my belay class. The did very... I do okay in the belay class? Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did great. You taught a big group of us. So it was did a I? group of me and my friends. We were like in college at that time. I was probably like twenty. And, um, yeah, you did great with us. You're always cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> that, that is my, my personality <laughs> That <in> hasn't changed. <laughs> Why did you come to the gym? You know what? I actually originally did not want to come. Mm. I'm just, it, I, climbing was, I didn't under, I understood that there was a gym that was open. They had to convince me actually on two separate occasions, like, you're going to like this, Patty. I never thought of myself actually as really athletic. Really? Yeah. I mean, we play, I played basketball and I did some gymnastics when I was younger, yeah. but I didn't really know what climbing was about because back then it was such a niche sport. I mm-hmm. just didn't realize. But eventually I got dragged in almost with like 10 other friends. Um, my best friend at that time, Dominique, she was like, no, I want you to go with me. And I will say the second... The second I climbed just a few moves, I was utterly hooked. Hmm. That's amazing to me that you didn't consider yourself athletic because I remember like fierce Patty from <laughs> back then being very athletic and a very good climber. I just I just took the sport. And yeah. you know, some people they might come in and try it once and not like it, usually because they have a fear of heights or they have very low self confidence maybe in yeah. their physical abilities. Or some people will come and they just maybe try it once once a year or a few times a month, but they're not like um this they don't have this passion for it. I just knew like this is right off the bat what this is going to be part a big part of my life. I literally remember that day, everything I climbed, everything I lunged for. <laughs> I even was on the 45, <laughs> like wow. uh, the 45 bouldering wall, and I tried to climb to the top. I made it up halfway, got my f- one and only gigantic flapper, and that stopped <laughs> me for the day. But I was going for it. I was like, this is, this is like, it was like, by drug, in a sense. Yeah. I just knew. I just knew that this was going to have a big, um, this is going to change my life in some way. Because at that time, I was just in college. Mm-hmm. I was in just studying um, like chemical engineering, biology, whatnot. 
was something I was expected to do for my family, but sure. I had no passion for it. I'd always be off actually studying almost everything else on top of it. I'd be... <laughs> I'd be taking all these art classes yep. and like, you know, casting sculptures in bronze and taking life drawing classes, history, art history classes, taking everything dance but classes, what there for. everything but I, what I'm there for. And that was a huge sign, but it's just the way I grew up. I grew up in like an Asian family. Yeah. So there were a lot of expectations. It was very basic. Like uh, you just study. So the education was important, family and food. <laughs> Mm. Those are the three basics, and Patty, don't worry about anything else. <laughs> Just focus on that. And certain kinds of edu education had to be either you're going to be a doctor, an engineer, or a lawyer. That was about it. <laughs> mm. Nothing in the creative field or athletic field, absolutely not. Yeah. You were like, I remember you just being in there all the time, all of a sudden. I absolutely all was. The time. And I, I was there all the time too. I so. think I got a membership right away. Yeah. And you see the people who get are hooked and seduced by this sport yeah. is I was probably going in at least five days mm -hmm. a week and I had to hold myself back on the other two days. So five days a week and then probably going in four, at least minimum four hour sessions. And that's where, yep. of course, my college education <laughs> derailed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I probably was at the red then on the other day or two. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was like there were a handful of staples in the gym, you know, people who were there all mm -hmm. the time. And and it very quickly for me anyway became became family. Mm -hmm. You know, you just said education, family yes. and food and and I agree with those three things really strongly if we can, you know, um, expand the definitions mm -hmm. because, because that little community there saved my life. Yes. You know? Um, Gave you Changed purpose. who I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it built who I am now. And, and it's cool to hear that you were in like, a, a similar like college path and then you find climbing and okay, my path has changed immediately. Utterly. What if I had failed you in your belay test? If you had failed me, <laughs> I think I would have. <laughs> what would have happened? You probably should have failed my friend. I was a little worried. I was like, are you sure you got me, Dominique? Uh, was, I was like, back then it was like a SSS method. And I was like, are you sure your brake hands on this? <laughs> It was a little worried, and she was smaller than I am. Yeah. So I was, and she had these tiny, tiny hands. <laughs> but everything went fine. <laughs> well, there weren't there weren't too many. There were a few, but there weren't too many women in that like immediate climb time mm -hmm. community. Um, did it ever feel like you wanted more women there? Did it just feel? natural normal to you i did i did notice that um like the ratio of male to females were pretty low i mean it is uh better nowadays but yeah, 20 much. something years ago was it maybe like 20 percent? it definitely was well it still is white male dominated sport totally but it is becoming more diverse mm -hmm. um Women, I felt there were very few dedicated female climbers or a handful. Mm -hmm. um, or there were women that just were felt like they were dragged in by their boyfriends 
or they just yeah. came in to spectate. <laughs> yeah. And I, it never bothered me because I've always been the type of person who can speak comfortably and with men and women. And actually, I think I sometimes prefer like uh, having male friends over female mm. friends, as long as somebody is just direct and really has a point of view and have not just surface level yeah. communication. Something that's always fascinated me about you that that I don't think we've ever talked about is that, you know, we tend to make judgments on people almost immediately when we meet them. You know, whether whether we like it or not, we mm-hmm. are like, okay, this person is that type of person. And that, and that can grow and change. Um, and you're quiet and um, – but then there's this huge – confidence there and this fierceness there that that really made an impression on me back then and and I have to think that part of that is what's led into where you're at now um where does that come from do you think I think it comes from definitely my upbringing so my mother starts early on with my family she was definitely the one who ran the household. She was the one who had like the confidence and guts to start her own businesses with in the restaurant business. And my dad is super kind and loving all that, but he mm. did not have that kind of gumption. He was actually more anxiety ridden. She was the one that led the charge, took care of the finances. Mm. But, but with every um relationship there's a power dynamic but she was always extremely respectful of that you she did not ever come off like she was holding power over him she always made it that he was definitely respected in the mm. house even though he was not like the one who called um <clears throat> you know made the decisions in a sense right. so i will say it comes from her she's always been an extremely confident person i think she has influenced me and she always taught me to um, believe in myself and to go after what I want. Mm. But basically, don't take advantage of anybody, but don't allow yourself to also be taken advantage of and take care of yourself. Even, even if you're in a relationship, married, whatnot, she's like, you can't totally you still have to have some autonomy yeah. because as an individual, that's great. You never um, know how the situation might change. She has always been cognizant of that all my life and would remind me of that. What a great role model to have. No, she's, ter- she's like, she, she is fierce. I yeah. say if I get any kind of fierceness, it is from her. Hmm. Because you're quiet and soft-spoken have there been times where people mistook that, whether it's absolutely customers, vendors, whatever, mm-hmm. mistook that as not being fierce? I would say, um, my, I mean, I don't feel like I, I just want to, um, I don't want to just say things and mm. put things out there. They can sue who I am by what I do how I act, how I treat you, mm-hmm. uh, how I speak to you. So, yes, initially people are like, oh, she's like this 
tiny Asian person, yeah. who Asian female, who is very soft-spoken. Um, I will say I'm very, I know I'm very accommodating and nice. I want to always make sure somebody is, I try to make people, I, I care about what I say and what I do because I know that can have a lot of influence on another individual. Mm. I would never want to affect somebody negatively. I don't want to put that out there. There's too much negativity already. So I am very mindful about um, what I say, what I do, because I know it has power to it. And for mm. me, I think that in this business, because I, I know that uh, climbing can have such an effect on somebody's life yeah, and just the people you meet, they could become lifelong friends like they have for me yeah. in the community. Why I never I never asked you this I never knew this we're gonna jump ahead a little bit but why on earth did you buy that gym? So I uh, Scott Rennick. So I am the th I was the third owner of Climb Time Blue Ash, yeah. which opened in 1993. And yeah, let's set the scene a little bit. Yes. So tell me a little about Climb Time, its history, and what Climb Time was like. Like explain Climb Time to me back in those days. I would love to see it through your eyes. Well, you were there before I was. Mm -hmm. I didn't come into the climbing scene until 96. I think it was just about to transfer ownership from the Dr. Hume to mm -hmm. the second owner, Scott Rennick, who is the current climbing business journal editor and owner. Yep. So back then, it it's in like this old where like a, it wasn't old then, but it was in a warehouse facility, very not very tall. Primarily, it's always been known for bouldering, but it had some shorter top ropes in there. Maybe the ceiling was not more than 23, 24 feet tall, but it's always been known for good bouldering, still is. Mm -hmm. um, very bare bones. I mean, very what you would consider like a 90s dirtbag <laughs> gym, but yeah. where you can train hard and climb hard. And it, that is still the scenario. I will say all of uh, the members who might, especially climb at both gyms, they might train on our tension board, but they will only boulder at Blue Ash because they know you get stronger climbing mm. at Blue Ash than you do at our old newer gym, Oakley. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely was definitely a more male-dominated sport for sure back then, but everybody was... Always, everybody in the community is always super friendly and nice. I don't ever feel like they were treating me like, oh, what are you doing here? And mm -hmm. what's a girl doing here climbing in here? And did you did you have the experience of like the place feeling like a community effort back then? Like, like a lot of the community helped build the newer walls. Mm -hmm. The setting was kind of community I you felt know. like it was actually the members were more involved aside from just the whoever was actually on payroll, the staff members, because yeah. they allowed volunteer setting. Yeah. They would exchange, I believe, mm -hmm. like memberships for volunteering to oh, help yeah. out. And it was very more loose. That's how I started in there. Was yeah. I was coming in every day and Chris Eklund was like, um, why don't you just vacuum the floors in the morning and then you don't have to pay anymore? Mm -hmm. 
And, and I think that's the last time I ever bought a gym membership. <laughs> I think that used to happen quite often, even maybe a little bit when I took over in 2000. Mm -hmm. But back then it was, it was like such a niche sport. They didn't even have the Climbing Wall Association. So no. the gym existed for years without the um, like regulations or like in industry standards that have been put out now. Mm -hmm. So it was, although people are still trying to make sure uh, risks were mitigated in the gym, but it was definitely much smaller community, more relaxed, more like just instead of like at the newer gym, groups kind of form groups of friends there yeah. i felt like everybody knew everybody yeah because <laughs> it's such a small kind of went climbing with everybody and i mean it was it's a family it still feels sure. like a family here in a lot of ways but it's just more members and people form their own little families yeah i i love that you're still involved in that side of it um I just know what it has done for me. It's, yeah. it's infused every, such a big part of my life. I mean, climb time is like, uh, it's my community, my family, and I feel lucky to be a part of it. Because mm. I know what it can do for somebody's life, especially if you are probably mentally seeking an outlet for stress. Mm. If you're feeling maybe like you don't belong somewhere and you're lonely. And when you come in here, people want to come in here. First of all, it's not like they're yeah. forced to come in and it's so social and everybody is just happy to be here. It's not, it's so easy to make friends here. Yeah. Like, and probably even lifelong friends. Cause you have that huge commonality that exists with everybody that they love to climb. So that's a big common thread already that you can like just talk about, mm -hmm. but then it turns into like friendships in the gym. And if you start taking it outside, turns into like uh, road trips. I mean, it's a huge bonding experience. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I totally sidetracked is there. It's one thing to feel accepted and as a part of something, it's a whole other thing to buy the place and, to become the owner and to oh. keep it going. Okay. How did back to that? Question. How did that come? So come along? around um, around 2000, at this point, I became a young mom to a two-year-old daughter. I will say, parenting is a very challenging experience, but I did not feel fulfilled as being a, like a stay-at-home mm -hmm. parent. And when uh, my business partner, Matt, who is the father of my kids, he mentioned that Climb Time Blue Ash was for sale. He mentioned, what do you think? Do mm. you, do you, would you like to do this? And I was like, yes. Mm. <laughs> so my mom, because um, we were young still, we just didn't, even though it was a small amount, <laughs> to like take, um, take over a new business, but we still didn't have the cash on hand. So sure. to, in order to secure a business loan back then, and I think interest rates were like 12%, <laughs> something <laughs> ridiculous like that. But my, my mother, um, co-signed the loan. Mm. She, and this is telling of her 
as like, even though she's like a tiger mom, she did not know anything about climbing. This could have been such a risk for her and my dad, but she believed in me and she believed in wanting me to be happy and to secure like my future happiness mm. and success. So they had like, they didn't question it even for a moment. Her and my dad were like, yes, we'll do it for you. So that is wow. how it started. And I just took it over probably within a month. I think Scott Rennick literally gave me the keys and he's like, I'm off to Boulder for a month. Wow. <laughs> it was like, learn. So it's been learn as I go the whole time. <laughs> Yeah. Did it seem like a, you know, I'm sure it seemed risky to your parents. Did it seem like a risk to you? Because the gym, the gym world was not back then what it is today, where it, where you can see this like future of a business and yeah. employing people. And it was a, it was a chalky, dirty, dark. Yes place i've had i had friends like why are you gonna buy that hole in the wall <laughs> you know why aren't you instead using that money to mm. like buy a home or something like that yeah. which we were living in an apartment at that time i i will say i i don't i'm the type of person who is a calculated risk taker i think i have confidence in myself that i i just know if i set a goal for myself I just know that I can do it because it's like so many people do things and you think it's incredible or whatnot, but mine is like, if somebody can do that, why not me? Mm. <laughs> why not? I mean, if I fail, I fail, but I'm going to try my hardest to not, but usually I don't even put that in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I, Let's I do this. But not to say that. that there's not a lot of like challenges. There are a lot of challenges. I think that first month is September. It's like usually the slowest month. Mm. And after that first month, I was like, oh no. <laughs> but Is this going to work? I know. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, but after as it starts going past uh, into winter time, I did notice just with a few easy tweaks and whatnot. I think by the end of the first year, business had gone up thirty percent. Wow! It just went on from there, and then the sport just is a was a burgeoning sport back then. Was a niche sport. Yeah. I just felt like every five years, this sport is growing. But how long was it before you decided to? open Oakley. And when did you first start talking about maybe opening another gym? I will say probably had thought about it every five years throughout that whole time, but it took at least 20 years. Oh my God. Don't say that. 20 just, years before. I'm like, you've owned second. this gym for 10 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had, so it's kind of, it, it took 20 years of business experience before it finally came into fruition, the second gym, Climb Time Oakley, in um, 2019 that we opened. And it was probably at least a three-year project in the wow. making. It, so it's things that you want and strive for, they, are, they just don't come that easily. It takes a lot of mm -hmm. uh, time, dedication, a lot of sacrifice, 
it's not like, oh, that must be nice and it just materializes. It takes, it takes a lot. And it takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of belief in yourself, but also support from a few that really, truly know you, believe you, which is needed. Um, but then you just have to assess the risks and you got to go for it. A lot of people have dreams, but if you are, if you don't like, um, Take some time, think about it, and then it's like you got to make a decision. Those dreams are just going to stay dreams. Yeah. So you have these two gyms. Oakley is much more a modern-day climbing gym, you know, how most of the listeners are going to think of a climbing gym. Mm -hmm. Um, Blue Ash, like we said, is more like, I mean, it's a very old-school training gym, essentially. Third bag, but cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, nicer now than it was, but it was very chalky, dirty, dark, dungeon feeling. Still is. Way back in the day. And compared to this, it certainly still is, mm-hmm. you know. How, talk to me about the differences and maybe the challenges of running two very different style gyms. What, what about the new gym shows up there and what from there might show up here, if so, anything? So because I felt like Blue Ash is a – I mean, it's still in existence after 30 years. I yeah. think it's a successful gym. We just – I just like um, – we just expanded on that basic idea. So Oakley really is just expansion mm. of Blue Ash. I wanted the same – as small a community feel as we can with a larger gym. I did not want it to be a giant corporate feeling gym. I still wanted people to, as they come in, like front desk staff, me, know them, greet them by their name. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want I want them to feel still like they're part of a community, not like just going into some corporate chain. Um, but I just had the ability now to... design it more so to exactly how I imagined a gym should be like. I've been in a lot of gyms around the country and there are a few that really seem to promote a more community oriented vibe and some that are like lots of hidden little nooks and crannies where you can't Mm -hmm. see people all the time and makes it feel really separated. Um, What were the conscious decisions in designing this gym to make it more, um, to be more modern, brighter, Mm -hmm. cleaner, but still keep that like small community? What, What were the decisions? Big decision was also just wanted um, a space for, it's for reasons that, so everybody can see each other. So I wanted it kind of open and not like you have to turn this corner and then you're hidden here and you're hidden there. I wanted it to still be an easy space to navigate and for just um, the staff members to be able to mm-hmm. monitor very easily. Mm-hmm. But then the other consideration had to be like, I didn't want to waste space. I wanted to fill fill in this 
this building with as much climbable wall space as possible. Otherwise, it's wasted. Right. <laughs> it's like you want to put in as much, um, be- oh, and also because of the monochromatic setting. Mm-hmm. I want it to be as dense as possible, the routes and the boulder palms, as much as, as much as we can put in. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed here that I really liked on, on first visit to this gym a few years ago um, that reminded me a little of Climb Time Blue Ash was that there is this kind of main gym space um, that's open and you can see everybody. But then there is a way to sort of group together with other like-minded people in your own space by going upstairs. Mm-hmm. And you can still see everything out in the gym, you know, similar to climb time where you're not, you're not necessarily, or climb time blue ash, where you're not necessarily in a different space when Mm -hmm. you walk to the backside of the wall. That's the 30 back there, right? Yes. Um, The 30 sort of feels like a different zone where you don't see the long stretch of the gym, but it's still part of the gym. You know what I mean? And that's sort of how the upstairs feels to me. You are correct because there's a mezzanine bouldering area. Some people, oh, they they want to socialize. Not everybody. Some people just want to come in, kind of escape. They put on, I know, we know to leave them alone when they put on their earbuds. They just Mm. want some self-care me time. And yeah. they will sometimes, yeah, just like if it's not busy, you, like up in the mezzanine, they'll just find their own corner and just, you know, climb and do their thing. And we respect that. But if I feel, they usually come to me. If they say, oh, I'm looking, I don't know how to like, who should I climb with? I want to meet some mm. cool friends or good friends. Or I just learned how to lead climb. I, I, it's easy to meet people. I'll direct them. <laughs> I will direct them. Like, I think you would like climbing with them. Let me introduce you. Do you think that's normal for a gym owner? Maybe not, but I don't care. I like to be involved in every aspect. Um, I do have to change up things a little bit now because now there's two gyms and, and the business has grown. I, I have had many staff members tell me, like, why are you up front here? Why are you cleaning the bathrooms? Why are you spraying off the shoes and, like, sweeping? It's like you have better things to do. You need to ex- help us grow and expand more. Go into your office and work or something mm. and not be doing these things. That's why we're all here. I have literally have been told that. But I just want, I just want them to know this is a team. I don't want to... Although I know I am the owner, I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I just want this business to flourish and grow because it is here for our community, our members, our staff members. It's come to that point where I have staff members that I have known for as long as you. Like Brent Flenner, I've known him since 96. Since he was like... 10 years old or something. Yeah, I have. I literally still have members who have <laughs> been uh, a membership holder since the year the gym opened. Wow. Yeah, 30 years. That is wow. like commitment, dedication, support. <clears throat> so I want to do well for, well, of course, for me, but for everybody else also. Because like Brent, he's come on the last few years. I've known him for so long. He's my general manager now. And I want to, I want this 
this community and business to do well because I know what it can do for people and also for my staff members I know want to be lifers with me. Mm. I, want, I want to be able to take care of them. So I like to be involved in every aspect. I will say I learned how to also uh, route set and all that because I know that's a hard job, but you don't really know until you start doing it yourself. Mm. And maybe most owners don't get involved with that, but I need to know exactly how hard it is on their bodies and like what's involved because I can I value them even more. I first of all I I know they're invaluable. I mean it's their product that people are paying for yeah. the quality of their route setting. I mean not that every staff member isn't very isn't important. They are, but the full timers, the routers, part of the experience. You know. Yes. And this place, it is an experience. Going climbing is an experience. It's, it says a lot that, that your clientele will come to you and say, who can I climb with? Who can I meet? You know, it says a lot about the community ethos that is baked into how you started climbing and, and you've, carried over to this place. I'm curious, you said your your staff wants to be lifers with yes. you. <laughs> That's fascinating to me because the gym world, the gym business world um, back then especially was like, pretty quick turnover. Mm -hmm. It was like a little job to get you through to the next thing. I do have plenty of um, turnover rate with certain staff members, but there are some that want this to be their career. They've, they've done other careers that they realize money isn't everything. Although I do want them to be taken care of financially, but they've done, but they don't want to work just for money. They, they, the ones who want to stay here, they realize that, all these facets are these like parts are um, coming together for them and that they truly love working here. They truly love the people here. They, they love their work, all of that. So that is why they want to stay with me as long as they possibly can. When did you make that mental and I plan shift? To, what is that? Like when did you make that mental shift of how it seemed to me like when you bought the gym was the gym owners are like the the manager the purchaser the you mm -hmm. know they do everything yeah. and they have a rotating cast of employees none of whom see this as a viable career when at what point did you make the shift into thinking i i need career-minded people in this? Definitely once um, the newer gym, Climb Time Oakley, opened up, and it was amazing, the response. I mean, I was, the community, like, just rallied up and was, I was just amazed. First day we were open, we were open for just a six-hour day, and they were lined up for four hours mm. waiting to come in. Wow. Waiting in line for four hours. I love it. Brent uh, was already working for me at least for a year by that time. He literally was doing lead tests 
in the back corner of the gym and did not leave that spot the whole six hours. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It was uh, so, and this community is giving me so much. How can I not try to give them as much as I can? But at this point, I realized I couldn't have all the hats. It's taken probably two and a half years, but I can't have all the hats that I wear. I have been terrible at delegating and now I realize I need to delegate and I need dedicated people who are passionate about this community and business as much as I am. Um, So that is where the shift began. Also, I just couldn't also handle like I was working at times 70 to 100 hours a week and I could, I know that is crazy to try to sustain that. Yeah. I mean, I'm similar in that regard in that I have the same like, oh, I can do that ethos, you mm-hmm. know, and and I'm terrible at delegating the same as you are. So we both, I think, work in really similar fashions. Um, but how wild is it that these things that we that we built out of a dirty, chalky, dark, dungeony gym are now careers for people. Yeah. We are truly fortunate and lucky. I mean, in terms of like we followed, we turned our passions into something that can sustain us career-wise. I mean, that's an amazing gift, and I highly value that. And if I can do that for other people or just whatever climbing can offer to them, I gladly will do that. But I just know now also you have to keep things balanced. I mean, because you have friends, you have family, you have other hobbies, other things you're passionate about. And if you don't take care of yourself and and when you give responsibilities to other people, that is actually a gift to them. It helps them grow as individuals and to do – to grow more in their career, all of that. And and I'm – and really, I'm just trying to share it because it's given me so much. And and if I am taking that time to self-care for me, I can actually do more. I think for I sure. 100%. How has it affected your climbing? Because I've, I've joked a number of times, if you ever want to quit climbing, just get a job at a gym. <laughs> um, so I'm curious how how your climbing has had its ups and downs over the years and how you feel about it. So I don't want to admit, but for a long time, just because having a family, young family and running a business, um, it was difficult to balance that. I literally would not climb for years at a time. Mm -hmm. And it's just until now, because now that my kids are either out of the house or they're um, older, the two, I I have um, gone back into climbing and I'm just, if not more, passionate about it and appreciate even more. Yeah. And you've got a good team and you're learning to delegate. Yes. And this is my <laughs> career, so I should be not like, I should be, I should be involved. <laughs> I should be climbing. So, yeah. so let's come back like full circle to that. And I plan to... Do this until as long as I can. I don't want to truly retire. I might want to, ideally, down the road, I'd like to just 
do what I want to do when I want to do it, but I never foresee myself leaving the community. Mm. Yeah, it's, or, I think it's, it's remarkable um, being on the outside looking in all these years, you know, there were definitely times when I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish Patty was still climbing. Like it was so much fun to watch her climb. I wish I could do that again. And, and then I would see like through Instagram and Facebook, uh, I, w- I would start to see photos of you like, like with, with people in the gym or outside climbing and, mm-hmm. And it, it gets me so excited to see that. But I think it's remarkable that you've not only remained part of the community while maybe not being able to climb, but also fostered the the love of this, you know, with so many people who've mm-hmm. come through these gyms in the, you know, the 10 years or whatever that you were in and out of climbing for yourself for 15 years or whatever it was. Yeah. It's just amazing. Mm. I mean, it's just been an amazing experience. Like all this, all the stories I hear, all the people I know, all the people that come back, all the people who are still in my yeah. life yeah. is just been so full. And I can't say anything else, but be grateful to be involved with this. And I keep, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> Yeah. And um I think you're in a unique position like having the being able to n- see what the old gym model looked like and and now being in this newer model of gym business, you know, and and being able to carry that community vibe that that made the old gyms work. Um might have been the only thing that allowed the old gyms to work, you know, um, and carrying it over into this. But I'm curious, are there things that you think the new, like, modern gym is missing? Not your gym in particular, but modern gyms in general. Is there is there something missing that should have been carried over from that old gym I don't want to speak too much for other gyms. I just know from just my personal experience, I want to maintain the grassroots feel, the community feel of support, like love. Um, It's just, it's like your family. I mean, and a lot of people tend to be transient. They Mm -hmm. like move around. But the thing is, the climbing gym that you want to belong to, you feel like when you move to a new place and you don't have any friends, you feel like you're with family again if you find the right gym. Um, But things that are missing with the newer gyms, sometimes because it's like bigger and more, and it's been growing. I mean, since 2000, I think the number of gyms in the U.S. has at least tripled. Yeah, it's wild. I think like the... And now that is just such a mainstream, um, world sensation type of sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to you encounter a lot of people and they come here for all different kinds of needs. It's not like, oh, they're coming in to train and climb on projects. They're still them, but there's less, less mentors and more mentees now. Mm. A lot of new climbers. And I feel like it is my job in in terms of like, even though I want to help them like 
grow their passion and everything. But sometimes I have to tell them to slow down, just enjoy the sport. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because they want to go, because they just see what they see, those documentaries and all that. They, and a lot of them, they just want to get outside right away. Like literally sometimes they will be, they want to learn how to belay within like a month of climbing. And then the following week they want to take my lead clinic. And I'm like, mm. no, <laughs> she's not ready. During like our times, like starting off, I felt like people didn't lead for at least a year or two sometimes. Right, right. But now they're jumping in straight from, they're rushing things. They just want to, they literally, they scare me. I will say it's like the <laughs> influx of people know like every weekend, somebody will tell me, staff members or gym members, they would tell me some incident that, would, that happened outside almost happened that was extremely scary <laughs> especially mm. in the crags with those really like lower um the moderate grades or whatnot a yeah. lot of things people doing incorrectly like literally people be learning how to lead um and cleaning anchors right then and there oh, as yeah. their friend is shouting at them how yeah. to clean the anchors while they're like 70 feet up or they'll tell me that they're coming in to climb here for one week because they're planning on a trip and they're buying all their gear and they're going to climb outside the following week. Or they learned how to YouTube everything. Mm. So they they know how to use a grigri and lead belay with it and right. all this. And it just scares me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. this is a dangerous, inherently dangerous sport. You You're need. definitely right that there's a a lack of of the type of mentor, you know, that that I think we both had. Um, I think there are different mentors in different ways. Um, the mentors here usually are newer climbers, I feel. It's like somebody who literally maybe learned how to lead maybe a year uh, ago, two years ago, last month, and now they're mentoring. And they want to be the expert. And, yes, I yeah. see that happening <clears throat> a lot, and I'm like, so back then it'd be like, oh, somebody has been climbing the trad dads, you know, all yep. that. And um, they've been climbing for like a decade or more and they're going to take somebody under their wing. Totally. And But now there's just less of those experienced climbers in the gym. There just are compared to how many new climbers are in the gym. There's only so many mentors for so many people. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying my best. I'm trying Does, my best to. But, but knowing you... And hearing you say, I'm trying to do my best, does it weigh on you that that you can't get to everybody and, and help everybody? I, I really try my best and I try myself. <laughs> I try to allow myself to be as available as possible to anybody who has questions or wants to glean some information from me totally open to that yeah. or to directing them to the people that they sh might be climbing that they should be climbing with. Um, no. Yeah. I feel like it's to, especially in the gym is definitely my responsibility. Yeah. To well, I do think that's make really sure they climb as safely as possible and learning properly. I direct them away from, Oh, they've been climbing for a month. I'm like, no, do not be hangboarding. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's really important to have that, you know, even if you're not the, the mentor who's taking them outside and showing them all these things. I think it's important to have. Um, I remember I worked at a pizza place. I was probably, it was right before I went outside climbing for the first time. And I had just bought quick draws from 
Chris Eckland at the gym, who was managing the gym at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember sitting at the pizza place, like I had read all the books and I was thinking about how it all goes. And it occurred to me, I don't know how to get these off of the route. Like, so I called climb time and was like, Hey, I, I have a question. (laughs) (laughs) Do you just leave a carabiner at the top of every route you climb, Mm -hmm. you know? And and then it all got explained to me and I came into the gym and he showed me how to do it. And, and it was great, you know? Yeah. But you do have to have somebody who's available for that to happen. We try to be as valuable as possible. Um, I will flat out tell you if I don't feel like you're ready to take like mm. a lead clinic and I tell them they should also have like a Jim DeCrag type clinic. So because a lot of the new people also because of the influx of people, they don't know what they should be doing properly at the crags like the proper etiquette and all of that, aside from just learning how to clean anchors properly so that they are safe. Um, But I try to make it as valuable as possible, but sometimes they're just impatient. If I tell them no, they'll just go learn from somebody else or they just head out. There's no, I mean, I can't control them as people, but I can just... It's good that you recognize that. But I just have to enforce the rules and that uh, we have in the gym and uphold them. So if you're not climbing a certain level or probably a certain amount of time, I probably won't allow you to sign up for the clinics, Mm. the lead clinics. Mm -hmm. That's good. We've mentioned a couple of times that this is kind of a male, white male dominated sport, especially when you and I started. I have to imagine that gym ownership has an even smaller percentage of non- white male um, in its ranks. Is this something you've ever um, dealt with, struggled with? Is it, what's it been like being a a woman of color who owns gym? I will say, I feel like the, the, the climbing population has changed since mm-hmm. 20 years ago. And I will say for, I can't speak for all women, but, f- and for women of color, for me personally, I've never let it be a focus. Mm. For me, I am just, I am an individual capable of what I think I'm capable of. And that is how I just approach life. And I'll let you see my actions will prove how I am. I'm yeah. not going to just um, put out stuff and talk a, a bunch of stuff. Uh, you'll know by how how I act. I will say I never think about stuff like this. I just know I've been around in this industry for a long time, and I try not to think about that either. <laughs> 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 and how long we've known each other, and I don't think about that. <laughs> Until you start saying things like, 25 years <laughs> or stuff like mid nineties. And you're like, what? I it know. just flies the 90s by were just 10 years ago. Yeah. Patty. But it's been all a, a awesome journey. <laughs> I am, I am beyond thrilled that 
you're still here, that you've taken this role in the community, I think it's so fucking important for, um, for the people who are the pillars in this climbing community to, to care about things like mentorship and um, helping people find careers in this thing that they love the same way that you and I were able to do. Um, and just being a, an encouraging, kind voice to people. Um, I feel like this, you know, this Cincinnati community, even though I'm not here anymore, it's still home to me, you know? Mm -hmm. People here are still family, and, and I feel like it's in really good hands. It's... I don't feel, I'm just blessed. I just feel blessed to be part of this community. And if they want me to have a role in helping lead the charge, I will graciously accept that. And I'm oh, honored. I think you already have that role. <laughs> but you. there's just so many people who just um, are so involved. I mean, the yeah. coalition, all the people who are who work in the gyms and like all my all the staff members at the gyms they are just amazing they just understand how special this community is and they want to do whatever they can to expand and preserve it cuz we want people to realize how what a wonderful community it is we want them to bring it we just know what it has done for so many people in terms of like how it's uh the friendships that have been made, the way you just feel supported, um, the diversity, the inclusivity. I mean, it's just, I don't have too many words, too many words to explain like what, how positive this is. Yeah, and all your words are for other people. So I'm, I'm going to push your flowers on you and and tell you how great I think you are and how glad I am that you're here. And then I'm gonna turn this recorder off so you can't have a rebuttal. <laughs> I, I am working. I'm working on being better at accepting any kind of praise. Thank you. And I will just say thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> and uh, I, I love, love being it. part of this climbing community with people like you. Wow, thanks for doing this with me, Patty. Oh. Uh, I know I've mentioned it to you a lot of times and you're, you're kind of always like, I don't have anything to say. I know. I'm such a terrible speaker. That's, I'm, you know, I'm a very reserved wild. person. No and, but this has been great. And, yeah. and Thanks. It's been terrific. Now, she might be reticent to accept the flowers, but I would love it if the next time every single one of you Cincinnati folks sees her, you tell her thanks for what she does for your community. One of my favorite things about the gym scene there as I knew it is that there's a very strong lineage of women who ran and worked in the gyms and become leaders in that community. Uh, Patty, Val, Margarita, Yasmin, Sarah, Becca, Brianna, and so many more. Cincinnati, you're in good hands. And if you're traveling through, you're the type who loves historical old gyms that are still thriving and have turned out some of the strongest boulders around with some of the biggest, best bouldering walls. Let's be clear, stop into Climb Time Blue Ash. If you want to see the newer, more modern side of that community, stop at Oakley. And you can thank me later. Patty, 
thank you. Next time, let's climb and do dinner. No business talk. All of you know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com, at powercompanyclimbing on all the social medias, except for that Twitter spot, because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this time,